Hey everybody, just a quick disclaimer off the top. We recorded this episode before news broke about Roberto Alomar and the sexual assault allegation and the removal of his name from the level of excellence, so you won't hear us talking about that nasty bit of news. Now here's the show. Welcome to the first official episode of Blue Jays Happy Hour. I am your host, or one of your hosts, Nick Ashbourne, and I'm joined, as always, by Andrew Stoughton. This is our first episode, but it is kind of an April in review. The Blue Jays are sitting just around 500. We're seventh of the way through the season. Stoughton, what is your first impression of the Toronto Blue Jays 2021 edition? Uh, that's a great question, and it, I'm not sure. It's I guess my I mean I don't know I can't say I'm not sure of my first impression because it's my first my first impression I guess is that it's sort of miraculous that they're here, and I'm super uh, surprised that the pitching has been so good and that the hitting has been so bad. Uh, but it really feels like they've kind of sp- spun their wheels for a while, um, and that they're they're just sort of they've they've maintained a good place a good platform for them to really take off in the next couple of months, I think. You know, it, it could have been really disastrous the way that the injuries hit them and the way that uh, uh, some guys just haven't hit the ball at all. Uh, and so the fact that they're 500, like, feels like a victory in itself, I think. Yeah, there's sort of this balance with this team right now where there's on one side, there's the, like, all things considered, this is good. And that's sort <laughs> of a lot of the vibe just going around the team. And then there's the other side of it where – there are still some issues and they're primarily injury issues, right? It's the, you know, the fact we're not going to see Kirby Yates at all. The fact that we have our worries about Nate Pearson. I know that we've seen positive steps uh, the other day in terms of him being activated from the IL, but there are a little bit more worries about Nate Pearson than there used to be, Uh, you know, Ryu going on the IL just now and George Springer, you know, his delayed entrance to the team and then him, you know, not being able to take, the reins in center field full time for an amount of time that we don't exactly know yet. So I'm with you in the sense that like, yes, if you had told me, you know, Guriel wasn't going to hit Teoscar Hernandez was going to be absent. We weren't going to see George Springer, uh, you know, Nate Pearson wasn't going to be a thing that they were going to be 500. I would have said, absolutely sign me up. Yes, please. But at the same time, there are some of these issues with the team that we didn't necessarily know were going to be the case heading into the season. Yeah, that that I think is absolutely true. It it doesn't hurt, I think, that the Yankees are you know have had their tough moments as well. I don't even know what their record is right now, uh, but same I just as of, the Orioles. <laughs> I just see the background noise on Twitter where Yankees fans are melting down every day, and I enjoy it. Uh, I know that the Red Sox have kind of played above their uh, their true talent, but I'm not really terribly worried by, about them. But that just really sort of like helps keep you centered and bring home the idea. That, you know, it's still April. It's, uh, you know, for a couple of minutes at least. Uh, and, and you know, it's not it's not too bad. It's the, If the Yankees had just gone out and been the 84 Detroit Tigers and won every single game and started, you know, walking away with the division, that would be a different story. Uh, the Rays, I, I'm still terrified by, even though the Jays managed to actually win a series at the Trop. But, uh, but yeah, the fact that, that nobody's really asserted themselves in this division – uh, helps, I think, maintain some sanity among the Jays fans and, and, and among me. 
<laughs> for just for how uh, you know how it's uh, you know how they're eleven eleven and 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 they could be better than that too, which is crazy. I think uh, considering all the the injuries, because there've definitely been games where uh, where they've lost winnable ones, but not maybe not as much as last year, or, or you know, or it hasn't been too bad so far. I I, I don't know, and obviously, I mean, we're going to get to it, but you know. Uh, you can't ask for anything better than like Vlad looking like the superstar we all expected him to be, which is, you know, just hasn't been the case for the first two years. Uh, that's been real nice. Yeah. I, you know, like you said, they haven't let as many of those games slip through their fingers that it seemed like they were obviously in the best position to win. Part of that's been the bullpen, right? The bullpen has been yes. outstanding. So they had a couple of little, you know, wavering moments with it where, you know, Zoic and Piamps were on the hill when bad things happen late in games. That's not what you want to see. That's part of the injury issues. But they've been throwing away baseballs more than they've been throwing away games, which is not great, but it's nice. As you mentioned, though, like, Vladdy is the story, right? You know, everything around the Blue Jays comes out of focus when you think about this guy who is the, the superstar that was promised and the whole last couple of years it's been yeah he's holding his own like he's young to be being all right at the big league level like that was the way we justified it but it was a disappointment and i think when we see what he's looking like now it brings into focus just how much his first couple of years were a disappointment even though we were sort of talking our way through them yeah a hundred percent and you know it's it's unfair or it was unfair Maybe it will be unfair again. Who knows where this season's going? But it just—it feels like this is this is the way it's supposed to go for him. Uh, but like you know, you—it it was impossible not to look at him in comparison to Juan Soto or Fernando Tatis Jr., uh, guys who look like they—they're like generational talents, which we all sort of thought Vlad was, you know, all the way up. I think Keith Law once had like at the very end of Vlad's sort of prospect tenure had Tatis ahead of him. And it was like a thing. People were like, look at this moron. What an off. idiot. <laughs> yeah. Like, because uh, Vlad was just that good. And then to have him sort of sputter a bit. And and the conditioning thing is is obviously huge. I saw, I think, uh, I think Caitlin from the from the Athletic retweeted the other day. Like, People, People Magazine. People Magazine. New yeah, York like, Times <laughs> has a piece on this. Yeah. Everyone's jumping on board the Vladdy weight loss train. Which I mean, it's, it's a, a compelling lot of story. It's a yeah, lot of it's, it really is. Oh, and it seems miserable too. Like the New York Times talking about what is diet, like no sugar, no sugar, no alcohol. It's like, I mean, yeah, I could, I could lose weight at that if I cut those out too, I guess. But like, that just sounds like a miserable way to live. But also, I don't know. That's that's what it takes to to get yourself a, a you know nine figure contract one day. Uh, and so credit to him for doing it. A lot of people don't you know don't yeah. have the discipline to do that and uh it's obviously paying off he obviously like he just looks like he's having more fun uh it's great to see him as like the chatty first baseman like even though i kind of still there's a part of me that's like oh i would love to see what he could do at third now that he's like a little more agile uh not that i think that you know obviously that's still not a long-term thing for him but uh that's in my mind but but just to see him as the guy having the conversations with everybody at first base like it it, it just it seems like the game is is in a good place for him and he's in a great place you know physically obviously and uh and yeah it's it's just it, it you you can't you can't not love it and he's really carried the team like we're talking about uh you know how our impressions of the first 
month of the season. Like he it's without Vlad or with 2019 or 2020 Vlad, like this team would be in real rough shape. He has been outstanding while a lot of guys just absolutely haven't. Yeah. And I think it goes beyond the production too. The production is, it's unbelievable, right? you got a WRC plus over 200. You know, this is, that's not just MVP levels. That's like above MVP levels. I don't think it's controversial for me to say he's not going to keep that up because nobody keeps that up. Like that's just not a level we see in <laughs> modern baseball. Um, however, there's there's more to it than that because he is such a fun player to watch. Like there's there's a way to do what he's doing and not be that fun to watch. You know, the discipline, the big power. You know, I'm, I'm thinking of obviously Justin Smoke never reached these heights. But if Justin Smoke did, <laughs> yeah. it wouldn't be that fun to watch. It'd be like, oh, okay, you know, he's scooping baseballs, he's hitting dingers, that's that's cool. But there's sort of an infectious fun to Vladdy now. And that was always there. But the way he's moving, you know, the big scoops, the splits he's doing that seem highly impractical based on his body type. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just another level. And I think that now that he's backing up the, the kind of the persona and he always had with the production, he's starting to reach that hierarchy of Blue Jays stars who are like truly a joy to watch. Like the, you know, the Batistas and the Donaldsons and the Encarnacion's. And I'm not saying that he is going to maintain that level or be those guys. And we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit later. But he's becoming that guy in terms of being appointment viewing, which is great from a Blue Jays fan perspective. Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. I mean, we all, even though it's my job to watch these games, you know, you you putter around during a game. You know, you, We all remember necessarily... 2017 and 2018. <laughs> you're not necessarily like fully focused on every single pitch. But it's become yeah. Once when Vlad's at the plate, you have to you have to zero in. You have to focus on it because he's just this big kid who can do extreme violence to baseballs. It's it's uh, it's wonderful. It's just it's it, it's uh, it is a great great thing. And he you know he was hitting the ball hard the whole time, but it just seems like the way that he's balanced and the way that he's able to reach a little better to spots in the zone. Uh, it's just it's all come together with this conditioning change and you know uh, so as a person who gets my news from the new york times i guess it all makes sense right? yeah it, it, you know i would compare it a little bit and he's not quite at that level but to bautista like the thing i loved about watching jose bautista is that it felt like you were thinking along with him every pitch in the bat like this is the pitch i'm gonna spit on this is the pitch that i'm okay taking in the strike zone because i'm not looking for that he was such a smart player, and Vladdy's at bats are starting to take that shape where it's okay. This is the you know he threw me this slider way outside the zone this time. I'm not going to fall for that again. Like maybe I fell for that the first time. I'm wait. This is me working the count, and that's a huge boost to the watchability from my perspective. Different people have different ways of watching the game, but. For example, personally, I think I like watching pitching more than I like watching hitting because I like thinking along with an at-bat. And it's only the really smart, really disciplined hitters who can kind of reach that level for me where it almost feels like a pitcher because of the intentionality of it. And I think that's where Vlad is getting. Uh, that's a great point. Yeah, and he, it, it is like Bautista. I mean, man, Bautista was just a genius like that. And Vlad, Vlad is, I mean, he. you know, you look at the strikeout to walk ratio and stuff like that, and it, it's... Or just like the rates in general, it's it's scary how talented he is, and to think that he's just sort of tapping into it. 
it's also scary to think that like like you know how absurd this month has been and it's like oh yeah mike trout's like still had a better month and that's just a regular mike trout month but still it's not it's, quite a regular mike trout month i think this no, is mike trout's best yeah. month but it, like you said it doesn't seem that crazy <laughs> yeah. that it's happened yeah I'm going to present you with one very small nitpick on Vladimir sure. Guerrero Jr., and that is going to make me unpopular with the listeners because I do not think that the mood right now is let's nitpick Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I'm not the best at reading the room sometimes, but I get the feeling that maybe that's not what people want to hear. I think you're accurate there, but I feel you're going to go and do it anyway. I'm going to do it anyway. You have never been one to be sort of swayed by public opinion, and that has not been the best for me at times, but uh, i got to stay true to myself. The one thing I would say about Grow Jr. that does scare me a little bit in the early going is that he is there's a lot more swing and miss in his game than we've seen traditionally in terms of literal contact rates and whiff rates. It's not translating to strikeouts right now. So maybe that means that his two-strike approach has been better. But when I see a guy whose whiff rate is in the 26th percentile of the league, I do think that perhaps that means the strikeouts are going to come up a little bit over time. And that's something we haven't really seen with him yet, and especially not this season. But when I think about ways in which Vladdy can come back to earth, that's one thing that stands out to me. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think you were right that nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> uh, we can leave it. You know what? We can leave it at that. <laughs> if, if you just it's, don't want to it's, it's a fair point. I think that's. I think that's a very good point. And you know, it's not going to be like this forever. And there, you know, there are going to be troughs, and it's it's going to be on him to get out of them. And you know, and hopefully not take two years this time to get out of them. Uh, but yeah, no, that that's a thing. But also, I think that you know, just remembering. Everything that everybody said about him in the minor leagues is that you know he's got he's got great, like not just great approach but great discipline, great sort of game planning, like knowing you know thinking thinking along with the pitcher, the stuff you were talking about, like the Batista stuff. Uh, so I am hopeful that that doesn't uh, that doesn't bite him. But yeah, obviously at some point it's not going to be three home run games every uh, every week. <laughs> but but. I, I, I don't know. I will not stand for, for nitpicking Vlad. We'll call we that potentially <laughs> valid, but we'll put it on the shelf. Uh, I, but before we leave Vladdy and talk about some other stuff, I do want to pose this philosophical question to you. And it's a question that I think would have been kind of silly if I'd asked it a month ago. And yet now it seems like a valid question to be. So this is the question. If you could guarantee today that for the rest of his Blue Jays career, and I'm talking about prime years here, so if Vladdy stays with the Blue Jays forever and he ends up being like 38 or whatever, uh, we're not talking about that. We're talking prime <laughs> Vladdy. Um, he would average Edwin Encarnacion's prime with the Blue Jays. So I'm talking 2012 to 2016 uh, in terms of offensive production. Would you take that? And I'm going to give a couple of statistics just to – Give some context for that. So during that time, Encarnacion hit 272, 367, 554. That's a nice slash line. He was 17th in the league in war among position players and 6th in WRC+. So the discrepancy there is because he was largely a DH and didn't offer much off defensive value. Even though Vladdy plays first, he's probably not going to rack up big defensive value either. So we're talking about a top 10 hitter in the league uh, I gave you the slash line. The devil is offering the offering you this deal. He can be that player for his Blue Jays prime. Would you take that? 
I think I would take it. Yeah, I I know that that it's there. There is probably more ceiling there from Vlad, but man, Edwin was such a great player and great hitter, and uh, that's absolutely no knock to to anyone to be like, oh, you can be Edwin Encarnacion in his prime. I mean, that was uh, that was a super fun guy to watch too, and uh, I I think I I think I absolutely would take that. It's it's funny because like I said, if I had posed you that question in March, you would have been like, "Are you crazy? Of course I'm going to take that yeah. because Vladdy <laughs> is you know is a guy whose WRC plus is kind of sitting around 115 or something, and he still hasn't quite figured out the launch angle thing." I think that there is an argument for it now. You know, I think that Vladdy is going to hit for a higher average than that, if I had to guess, uh, in terms of um, just his ability to you know, spray line drives. Like Edwin Carnacion hit a lot of fly balls, so he didn't run very high batting averages on balls in play. Uh, so if you say, you know, he's going to hit for a little higher average than that, is he going to have the same power? Is he going to, you know, Edwin Carnacion is a guy who had the most home runs in the entire MLB for like a decade span. So saying he might not hit the same number of home runs as Eddie, I think is a valid thing to say, especially with him having a more level plane. Is he going to get on base more? Maybe. Maybe he'd walk a little bit more. I think it's very close. But, yeah, I think you got to take the certainty of being a top 10 hitter in the entire league. I think if someone offers you that, it's hard to walk away from the table and be like, no, I'm going to roll the dice. I think you still have to take Eddie, but it's becoming a question. It would, I would say it's becoming a question as if this is, like, on the table for someone. <laughs> uh, but but uh, the validity of this incredibly stupid hypothetical that I conjured could increase over time. And by the end of the year, if I ask you the same question, there's a chance you say no if he puts up a ridiculous, almost MVP-level stat line. Yeah, probably. I mean, I don't know. Like, you know, obviously there's a there, there's some room between, you know, Encarnacion and, and Miguel Cabrera. But uh, so, so yeah, there... There, there are are reasons to, to say, oh, that's too pessimistic to, be, to take Edwin's career, but... Or Edwin's peak, but man, that's that's such a good peak that I, I, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't possibly. And also, like you said, I mean, a year ago, a, a month ago, it, it, we would have been ridiculed for even talking about it. I think, uh, and yeah, it's just a month, and apparently, I don't know. I've heard. Well, it might still get ridiculed or- to be fair, <laughs> and I'll, I'll take the brunt of that because it's my fault for posing the question. Fair enough, and I've heard naysayers talk about you know his whiff rate yeah. could be a harbinger <laughs> of bad things to come. Yeah, you know, but... don't listen to those naysayers. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it's it's just it's such a nice place to be, uh, where we can think about him in those terms, uh, again, where we can you know, where people are are tweeting out videos from the ballpark, and I don't think any, I didn't see any of those from Dunedin the other night, but like where it's. Where it's just like everything he does goes viral because it's amazing, uh, and we lost that for a couple of years. While for while a twenty one year old was playing in the major leagues, which is like absurd in its own right, and being an above average hitter, but uh, but yeah, just to see him not smash the ball into the ground all the time uh, has been has been real good. It's been real you good. You do I've get been... a little bit sick of tweeting the like, you know, that was a double play, but. He hit at 111 <laughs> miles per hour. So think about that, guys. Yeah. Those yeah. those tweets got a little bit stale, and I'm not saying I didn't participate. Uh, if we're going to go from sort of the the shining light for the Blue Jays so far to the darker elements of the start, I think the one <laughs> thing that people 
are most pessimistic about or maybe there's been the most negativity about has been the defense on the left side of that infield with Bo Bichette and Kevin Biggio. Now that talk has simmered down a little bit as Biggio has played more outfield, but that seems like there's probably, it's probably going to be a little bit temporary, right? Because Teoscar Hernandez is going to come back. George Springer is going to be starting playing uh, in center field more consistently. We're going to see in all likelihood Biggio push back to that third base spot. So I did a piece on this and this, I hate this on podcasts when people talk about what they wrote. So I'm already, that's already a self-loathing moment, but uh, I did a piece <laughs> on this earlier this week. And like right now, the left side of the Blue Jays infield shortstop and third base they were on pace to be like negative 45 runs above average over the course of the season. So that, that, you know, that's not going to continue because that's insane. Uh, but that's too much. And what are your, yeah. What are your kind of thoughts on, you know, where are we at with Bo Bichette? Where are we at with Biggio? And you know, what is a possible solution to this problem? You know, there is one in it called Marcus Semyon, but where are you sitting with that? Yeah. I mean, Semyon is a, he's kind of a solution, but then you have done what you have Biggio at second base. That's better. For sure. Uh, but then you also open a huge can. Of, I'm working on a mailbag that I will probably come out after this podcast. Here I am talking about stuff I wrote, but uh, that nobody's read yet. Arguably uh, even what, worse. Right? <laughs> Where, but, and, and, but you're right that this is like the pressing topic. Like most of the questions were about this, I feel like. There was a ton of questions about about it. And I think it's, you know, it, it's going to be hard. And I understand, you know, the the Jays signed Semyon. He wanted to be a second baseman. I think I assume he didn't want to be pigeonholed as like a, a corner infield guy or as a third baseman. Like I think he felt that it would be better for him to enter the market next year as a as a second baseman, you know, and, and hopefully someone's going to sign him to play shortstop. I'm not sure exactly. But, you know, they committed to him at second. They had him work all offseason at second, all spring training, you know, going out every day early you know, on the field, taking balls at second, working on the double play transition, doing the whole, the whole bit, uh, you know, to ask him to move positions after a month is tough to do, I think. And it's also, it's tough, especially because, you know, the, uh, we don't know what the qualifying offer is going to be, uh, whether that's going to still exist under the next CBA. I assume that because it expires in December, they're probably going to still do, but what, it's poten- potentially Semyon could be here for a while. I don't know if you want to like start that relationship off like that. Uh, I don't think it's a great sign to other free agents that they would do a thing like that. I think that there's, you know, there are complications to it. Um, and, but yeah, it obviously, you know, he's obviously a pretty good shortstop and can certainly play third base as well. Um, and I think you're, you know, you're right. It won't, it won't stay like this forever. And, and you can just, you can tell for me, Bichette is, more okay i think bichette has got a longer leash uh you can tell recently you know he had a couple good games uh in the middle of the week this week uh which kind of has changed the the perception i think a little bit it's we're which sort of says okay we're in that stage still where oh, a couple of games can shift what we think about it you know because he can look good at times he can look really bad at times uh and i also think that you know uh to if you're going to ask Bichette to be to move to second for Semyon, uh, that's sort of like that's the end of Bichette as a shortstop. I think I think it'd be really hard to go back. I think it'd be really hard to come into next spring after presumably chasing shortstops all winter on the free agent market and then have him be the shortstop again. And you know that's just that's added pressure. That's like 
I don't know. I think I think once Bichette, if they ask Bichette to move off shortstop, that's probably he's done. Uh, maybe I'm wrong there, but uh, but I think there's a good chance of it and enough of a chance of it that you have to go into that really lightly. Uh, you can't like you can't mess that up, and I think you got to give him a lot of time before you really make yeah. that. Decision. I mean, Bo Bichette has played. You know, we're recording here on Friday. After tonight's game, presumably he'll play shortstop tonight. If he does, that'll be his 90th game as a major league shortstop. So that's a really, you know, that's very small in terms of a body of work to say this guy can't play shortstop, especially when, to my eye, a lot of his mistakes are baubles, failures to field the ball, and not instances where he's showing that he doesn't have the tools as far as i'm concerned he does have the tools like he can throw he can move well he can come in on balls he just doesn't have the consistency right now that you need from a starting shortstop like he hasn't reached that level but i don't think it's fair to say that he won't because there's nothing in his set of abilities that says to me this guy cannot play shortstop he just his performance level isn't where it needs to be but again you know he's a young guy he's got relatively little experience at this level it seems way too early to give up on him yeah i think that's right now the other guy Vigio. that's a different story <laughs> i think it is a different story and i you know i i've been accused rightly of being too hard on him especially offensively i mean i i've taken the i've, I've taken that that uh cavin pill uh <laughs> and and its effects are clearly working uh, but yeah, I like, I didn't like him. I didn't like the idea in the first place. I didn't like him when we saw him a little bit last year at third. I don't know that the arm plays there. I, I don't know, you know, you, it, it, some of, but he's better than what we've seen, I think for sure. But so is anybody. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Like, but I think, you know, I, I don't think balls are going to go through his legs all the time, but, uh, but that's clearly the position where they can, you know, they can improve the most. Uh, if we ignore the fact that the catchers exist in a fucking black hole at this point, uh, but yeah, that 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 one is that one is tougher. I think Semyon there would make a lot of sense. I think flipping Semyon and Biggio would make a lot I, of I sense. I think if he did that tomorrow, you'd have a significantly better defense. Now, all those points you brought up about Semyon and what you said to him, and the kind of the conditions of your agreement with him, and the message it would send, and all that stuff, I think that's all valid. But if we were playing baseball in a vacuum, I think Biggio is a decent yeah. second baseman. And I think that Semyon could do really well at third base. And I think suddenly, the moment Bichette kind of gets over a little bit of a consistency hurdle, you have a decent infield defense. It's just probably not going to happen that way. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And, I, you know, I've written a little bit about this. I went back and there, there was a quote from Ross Atkins in his last, uh, you know, session with the media where, where uh, on Zoom where he said... Uh, part of what they, you know, part of the appeal of Semyon was that he could play multiple positions, uh, which was sort of like a little bit of daylight into the idea that maybe that's going to happen. And I, I think that, you know, they're not blind. I think that there, there's, there's clearly going to come a point where that's a conversation that has to be had, right? I think unless Biggio miraculously becomes better at third base which i just i he will become better but again from a very low standard and like his arm strength's a problem like he has to charge up those throws that go across the dime like even when he hits the throw accurately he has to he has to really put a lot behind it and it's wasted time and i think that makes him hurry some of the throws and 
He, there are plays yeah. that are close that shouldn't be close. Like, there's a fundamental issue, like I said, with Bichette, I think his tool set is fine. With Bijou, I think that there's a fundamental issue with this tool set in the position that is not going to be solved. I Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think, like, just watching Espinal at third base, the, I, I, they talk about this with Alejandro Kirk a lot, just the way that Kirk can slow the game down. And if it, I feel more comfortable with – I mean, you know, Espinal hasn't been a perfect defender there either, but I've definitely – you know, you just feel like he has a beat where he can set his feet and he has the arm strength to like to to get everything moving in the right direction and make a good throw in a way that Biggio just doesn't because he like you say, he has to he has to rush, he has to charge up those throws, he has to really get everything he has on it because otherwise the ball's just not gonna travel fast enough to get there. Uh and that becomes a problem. That's you know, and I, I have I have friends who are casual fans of the game and uh you know who don't aren't are who are fortunately for them not like on Twitter all the time and looking at fan graphs and all that stuff uh and who are like well haven't these guys played this position their whole lives like are you know how is this no. how is this <laughs> no, they haven't well one they haven't yeah and uh, but also like just MLB speed is just it's just different like even you know even when Alejandro Kirk is running to first base. Like you're like the 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 speed and the pressure and the 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 uh, velocity off the bat. Everything is everything is just cranked up a notch, uh, and the margin for error is slim. And I think Biggio just sort of falls on the wrong side of that line uh, too often. So I'm with I'm with you. Uh, it, what would be nice for me, I think, uh, what I would like. I mean, it, I don't know if they can wait this long. But it would be nice if a trade was maybe the solution as opposed to moving Semyon. Like if Semyon especially doesn't want to move, like uh, I think it would be great to uh, to trade for a good third baseman. And then Biggio can really be that, you know, be the Joe Panic of this team as opposed to the, the, the guy who's penciled in every day. But that's also partly uh, my concerns with his, uh, his offensive output, which has been better since I started really getting loud about about that stuff, which a lot of other people have been way ahead of the curve on. Yeah, uh, I, it's interesting. I mean, we can have this discussion now because I think I'm probably more of a Biggio apologist uh, than you are. I guess most people are. You know, I think that <laughs> people are so inclined to doubt Biggio because when things go wrong offensively, it's easy to point to like, you know, this guy doesn't hit the ball hard. Yeah, you know, he's got very limited raw power, and so he's so reliant on this, you know, on walking to get on base. And, you know, once people realize that he's not a threat, they're going to start throwing him strikes. And I understand that, and he's walked less this year, but the reason really that he's walked less this year is that he's chased a bunch more pitches. He came in and decided, like, I'm going to be aggressive, Kevin Biggio, because I think he probably saw, you know, he's strikeout looking quite a bit. And he probably saw, you know, there's some production left that I'm leaving on the table. But then by becoming the quote-unquote aggressive version of Biggio, he left more production and walks on the table than he got by going after these pitches because he's most dangerous when he's running up counts and getting on base via walk. That's that's his most dangerous offensive tool. And, you know, he came to the year with a decent track record of doing this. Like if suddenly people are going to flip a switch and say, I'm going to throw Kevin Biggio strikes and I'm going to throw him – uh, fastballs and that's all I'm going to do and it's going to totally disable this bat I think it would have happened before his third year in the major leagues and they, I know that one those other years were a little bit shortened 
but I don't think it's quite as simple as, you know, Kevin Biggio doesn't have the tools. Kevin Biggio is broken. Now, I agree with you that trading for a third baseman would be a way to improve this team. But I, I am interested by the dialogue in the Blue Jays world about kind of burying him as a potential offensive contributor because I think it's it's one bad month in the context of one and a half good years. And you know, he's even hit the ball harder this year. I know it doesn't the it doesn't show up in sort of those expected stats, but those expected stats include the walk and strikeout rates, and that's really where the problems have been for him. That's true. That's true. I mean, I don't want to go on the rant about about Bijou, but I, I, you know, I think a lot of his, a lot of his, uh, his production in his first year was feasting on guys in September. He kind of had a hot start and then got figured out, and then September happened, which is maybe a bit of a red flag that that was, that that sort of kept him afloat. And uh, you know, last year, short season, uh, the. The, the exit velocities and the, the he doesn't hit the ball hard he doesn't do damage but you're, but but I guess fundamentally is uh, uh, the question is like are pitchers going to start throwing him more strikes are they going to tra- start challenging him more and how much more uh, you know pitchers don't just throw you know as much as Buck and Tabby may may like to, like to talk about it they don't just throw strikes you know they're not going to throw him center cut fastballs because they don't think he can hit it you know they're going to still continue to try to work on the edges of the zone and not give guys pitches to hit uh and that means that with an eye like Biggio's he's going to be able to to take a certain amount of walks uh I just I I am skeptical that they're going to continue to allow him to walk at the rate that he has because there's just nobody out there who does who has that profile and walks that much uh that but I but because there's nobody out there like that, that sort of just theory it's not it's not tested necessarily like like I but I uh, that is that is the concern I guess and I would be happy to to have that concern alleviated by Biggio continuing to be really good like this is another thing that you know when you talk about red flags on Biggio I mean you could talk about that on a lot of guys but this it it, it is it's just such a weird profile. To be like you know one of the you know drawing the most walks in the league or you know top ten in, in walk rate and like just just horrendous in terms of of you know where where the uh, the the expected stats are and the the the, uh, the exit velocities and the maximum you know he's never hit a ball over one hundred and five off the bat not in this uh, year he's got he's up to one hundred eight this year he he, cry, oh, he crushed he? his max exit velocity. It's a big, big strong Biggio now. <laughs> no, like those, all those concerns I, I are valid. I just yeah. think that a lot of people have been very. This is a guy who's been a well above average hitter for not a ton of time, but some time. And it seems like one month, and everyone is ready to jump down his throat. And I think the defense probably plays into that. But uh, it's just been. I think there's been a bit of an overreaction on him. And like you said, like it's a very unusual profile. The walks maybe can't be 16% all the time, but if they can be, you know, right now he's sort of around 13%. If he can do that but have fewer strikeouts, then, yeah, you cobble together, you know, relatively average offensive profile that is on base heavy, and that's, you know, that can still be a valuable player. Yeah, I, 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 it, it is entirely possible that he can make it work. It's just it's not a lot of guys do. And I, I must say, I'll be honest, uh, you know, Wilner is just is just he he's he, well we we all know Wilner. I like Wilner. Uh, I've had him on the old show. Uh, oh, good dude, but, uh, but but he is like so doubled down on Biggio is should be leading off. He's gonna he's a great on base guy, and that definitely 
colors my yeah i mean george, george springer like, should I, be I, I want to <laughs> yeah i, I want to i want to see wilner be wrong about that one i don't know why but that's something that's in my brain a little bit so if we're gonna you know have the, the i guess we're setting the precedent for the whole structure here and i don't want to say this is what the structure is always going to be but today we've been going kind of you know positive negative positive negative if we're going to hit positive again talk about some of april's surprises I think that, you know, that starts with Steven Matz. You know, the, the ERA bumped up after that rough outing the other day, but that's about as bad luck as you're going to have in an outing. I don't really take much from that. Robbie Ray, it's a little early to have that, the impression on him just because you have a few number of starts. You had the one kind of really electric start. And then this, the bullpen is another thing that, you know, especially with Yates out, Merriweather going down early, you never would have guessed. I'm going to read you a bullpen stat. We can start there. Uh, sure. So here's a quartet of pitchers that you might not have thought these are the guys that are going to be riding the bus for the Blue Jays bullpen, but Anthony Castro, Tyler Chatwood, Tim Meza, and David Phelps. So there, there's four guys that, you know, you wouldn't assume – are going to be the key guys in the bullpen. Those guys have combined for 27.1 innings of 0.33 ERA ball. <laughs> and, I mean, they've pitched really well, too. They haven't given up a home run. Uh, their ground ball rate's you know, close to 60. They're striking out well over a guy an inning, like 10.87K per nine. They're walking less than two per nine. So it's not just complete bullshit. Uh, it's guys who are pitching really well, and Castro in particular with that – kind of sweeping slurvy pitch uh, can be a lot of fun to watch. But do you take anything from that where you think that's encouraging or for you, is that all okay? Well, that's something that's begging to come down to earth. Well, I don't think the 0.33 ERA is, is going to be sustainable, but I, but yeah, I think that the, I think the Jays have done a really good job in the last several years of, of, you know, like the pro scouting, the, the Carson Sestulis of the world. Uh, finding those guys and I, I like every year when uh, you know every offseason people will be like oh look at you know they don't you need guys with track records in the bullpen or this guy this guy has terrible numbers or whatever and obviously you know reliever numbers are weird uh, just because of the way that they're used it doesn't sort of compile in the same way like ERA is even weird to use for relievers but uh, but for me it's just become it's like well what like what what is what does their stuff look like more than what does their track record look like? Like, do they have pitches that could get big leaguers out? Okay, then that then that's probably going to be a decent reliever. And and you know, I think people get hung up on like, oh, these are no name guys. It's like, yeah, but like, look, I don't know. The, Anthony Castro had a great spring, and you know, obviously you can't put 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 anything into spring numbers, but you can still take things from spring. And you look, you know, you looked at that, uh, and you saw a guy who. Uh, who can get big leaders out. And I think they've, they've done a great job finding those guys and finding guys that they can, you know, help tweak and help improve. Uh, you know, you talked about Mats and Ray are, are other examples of that. And uh, I know Pete Walker gets a lot of credit to the, for that. I think Matt Bushman also. And I think that, you know, the pro scouting staff, uh, they're all, you know, they seem like they're on the same page and pulling in the same direction and be able to, you know, identify things that they can help guys with. That's not always the case. You know, there are Tanner Roarks in the world and there are guys who are not, but, uh, but yeah, it, I think it's been really encouraging. I don't, you know, I don't know why that would, that would stop, I guess, uh, you know, it will to an extent because they just, they can't keep doing that. And maybe more, the more the league sees these guys, it's going to be an issue. And, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I, I 
I quite like the, those arms. I mean, David Phelps has been doing it for a while. Tyler Chatwood is like, you know, was a starter for a while, but I mean, the stuff is just there. And Romano has been great. And, and, you know, Castro, I, I, I feel good about, it. I feel, you know, and this, again, going back to the spring stuff, it, it reminds me of Vlad where it's like, you know, oh, he's only been doing it for a month. And it's like, well, actually he's been doing it for two months. And I know you can't count the spring stuff, but like he just came out of the gate, a completely different guy. Uh, and I think that, I think that about Robbie Ray as well, you know, uh, because he, you know, he looked great. Uh, and, and I also think that about Alec Manoa, who we may touch on later as well, but, but yeah, it's, it, I think the bullpen is, uh, it's not like, I mean, it's a mirage, but it's not such a big mirage that it's going to, uh, it's going to go completely the other yeah, way. Yeah. Cause like when I look at those, that quartet of pitchers, I quoted to you, you know, I like Castro stuff a lot. I think Tim Mesa looks great coming back. Yeah, uh, yeah. Chatwood, you know, he's got stuff that's really interesting. You know, his command can come and go. So, I, you know, I probably have a little bit more worries for him. I have a little bit more worries when it comes to uh, David Phelps. But like you said, with relievers, it's all about stuff. It's not about – because the sample sizes are always really small. It's hard to take stuff from them. So it's all about what what's their repertoire. Can it get big leaguers out? Like Julian Merriweather is a perfect example. He has almost no track record, but a couple of <laughs> a couple of appearances in, it was very clear that this guy can be a high leverage weapon at the highest level. Like he he only needed to come out yeah. and do like two appearances for us to know. And now it's unfortunate that he's back on the IL now, and you can never put your hopes in him. And that's just the reality of his life. And it's been a bit of a sad story, his baseball career and what could have been. And you know he may well come back, and maybe that's too melancholy a tone for all of that. But all you need to do is see this guy a few times, and sometimes the command is sort of the the issue that takes some time to stabilize for us to understand. But, yeah, I'm pretty high on those guys. I think you mentioned Pete Walker, Matt Bushman, and they've always been getting a lot of hype on, like, these guys can, you know, they can improve guys, they can tweak guys. And this was the year where it's sort of like prove it because they had the projects. They had Robbie Ray. They had Steven Matz, who was a disaster in 2020, even in a small season, like enough of a disaster that you could have expected him to come out and fall flat this year as well. Ray, I continue to be a little bit more skeptical on Ray just because the walks, you know, we've seen him walk a bunch of people, even when he escapes it. Uh, yeah. But they, you know, they had Ray and Matt and Tanner Roark. And at one point, TJ Zoic, which I have to say that I never for a second believed that. I never believed that TJ Zoic was going to be a thing. <laughs> like they came out one day and they're like, oh, he threw some 94 mile an hour sinkers. Congratulations. You can't like, there was no way that was ever going to work. But I guess the idea was, here's a lot of guys. If we really believe in our pitching coaches, they can make these guys good. And for the most part, they have. So you, you have to t- tip your hat because the pitching coaching from the Blue Jays, whether it's Walker, whether it's Bushman, whoever you want to credit, has been outstanding because they've taken guys that were not valued, especially highly around the league, and they've squeezed really, really good production out of them. Yeah, it's it's true. I mean, again, it's only a month, but you you have to feel good about it. I, I was looking at the uh, Stephen Matz's baseball savant page the other day, and uh, and you know it shows it, it just it shows like the zone map, uh, and you know you can flip back a couple years and just he like. His command was not not all over the place, but he just everything was being left out over the plate last year and the year before, uh, and this year it is it's just a completely different story. And you know I don't 
I don't know what to attribute that to. You know, obviously the the coaching is a big element of it. It's really interesting to hear Pete Walker speak about stuff like that. He, you know, he does Zoom sessions with media every week, and and you know, a lot of you know, there's a there's a lot of I I, I think partly it's that they don't have they don't want their state secrets to get out, so they're kind of like, you know, you see this especially you know Ross Atkins is is bad at. Uh, at, at, at just you know making it seem like he's telling you something when he's not like it's just always obvious when he's not telling you something uh but walker i think walker leans a lot on just confidence and 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 making sure the guys are in the right mindset and there there clearly is an element to that uh i assume there are also you know many mechanical yeah. things and the days are really <laughs> data driven at this point yeah pete walker and, makes himself sound like he's this old school like baseball yeah. man and i'm not saying that he doesn't have that credibility but i just do, i do know that that staff and like i've spoken to matt bushman a lot and he's a very smart guy as everyone who will tell you who's spoken to yeah. him will say uh and he is and i know but i do know that there's a lot more than just we gave these guys a <laughs> pat on the back and we yeah. believed in them yeah, yeah, <laughs> but they're but they're just never going to no, say no. Because why would you? Like, you know, like Ross, yeah. At, like people criticize Ross Atkins. If I was Ross Atkins, I would probably act a lot like Ross Atkins does. I mean, some of the terminology uh, yeah, I, mean, I the, would use yeah, might be different, some, but yeah, PRs, you know, there's definitely some comms uh, workarounds for some of the things. Uh, but <laughs> but sort of big picture, his attitude of I'm gonna be vague and I'm gonna be vague and positive about stuff. Yeah, that's probably the way to go if you're a general manager. Yeah, absolutely. All right, before we get out of here. I don't. We're not quite closing in on our hour, which we promised not to do. But we're still, we're still, uh, <laughs> no, we're running lower on time, I guess. So I just want to get to a couple of the April disappointments here and see what you think about them. There's really not a lot of pitchers on this list, mainly because you know the guys who've been bad, T.J. Zoic and Tanner Roark. We knew they were going to be bad, and then they were. So that's that's not a disappointment, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> that's meeting expectations. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, one guy I think is interesting to start with is is Rowdy Telez because he, he's someone that I know I had a lot of hope for in 2021. My opinions of him about him have oscillated wildly over his career. It's been a roller coaster, but I kind of thought that he'd clued into something in 2020 from an approach perspective, and it just really hasn't carried over to this season. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Like he. Uh, just the strikeout rate would just went down so noticeably and so significantly. And he did it last year in like, you know, strikeout rates, one that stabilizes fairly early and in a way that it seemed like it was meaningful and then came back this year and was just, you know, striking out all the time. Uh, and I think that maybe that, you know, maybe it was just partly a slump. I felt like he was coming around a little bit. I understand why uh, it took me a while to process why he was the one who got optioned uh, when Springer came back. Uh, but I get that with Springer needing to DH and there being a bunch of uh, lefty starters coming up apparently, and uh, you know, and 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 just Teoscar coming back as well. Like the DH spot is going to be tough to find at bats for him, and maybe there's a better way to get him going uh, than having him sit on the bench. I think that's probably uh, the thinking there. And but yeah, it, it it's it's been disappointing, but I still kind of have hope, and I'm in the same place as you, where I last year was really. Uh, eye-opening because he like it when he got injured it, it it was a blow it was like this was this is like a breakout star kind of in the making like it really felt like 
you know, his at-bats were good. He wasn't, you know, because we'd seen before a lot of non-competitive at-bats from Telez. Uh, just a lot of swing and miss. And it just, it, it, I don't know. It went, it, it didn't just go away, but it just looked like he was on, in such a better place. And in, you know, I mean, it, it's interesting, like just hearing Dante Bichette talk about hitting, uh, it really felt like he, like that was a key influence and a, a, a guy who was, uh, uh, who I think was working well with Rowdy and was uh, understanding uh, you know, just the kind of guy that he could be and, and that Rowdy was maybe listening to as well. And, it, and someone who uh, just helped him realize, like, it's almost like the Justin Smoke thing in a way. Like, oh, you know, you don't you don't have to sell out for power all the time because, you know, you're like your swing at 80 percent is still going to, like, destroy the baseball like you like you can back it up a little bit. And uh, and that I think helped him. That's a, you know backing it up is something that Bichette would always talk about, uh, you know, make, not making contact out in front of the plate as much, uh, which it seemed like it seemed for a while last year that Randall Richard could sort of uh, come around on stuff like that, which you know turned out to be the typical Randall Richard barrage. Uh, but yeah, it really felt like Teles was 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 going somewhere, uh, and then it's been a real disappointing start. But I, I still kind of think that he can come around. I don't know what you think. Yeah, my opinion of him has, you know, obviously it's been a rough start to the year and what he did that was positive wasn't a small sample. So I would say the enthusiasm has come out a little bit for me. But at the same time, you know, he, he hits the snot out of the baseball, like he, even even yeah. in 2021 when he hasn't been on his game. And then subjectively, I feel like, yeah, he had that really early slump. That can really, I think that can set guys back mentally from a subjective perspective, it seemed like he was getting a little greedy. I think he, he got under the ball a lot this season. The stats would bear that out too. And so he popped up a lot. To me, that indicates a guy who's really hunting those home runs, hunting those extra his hits. And I think they might have kind of put the cart before the horse a few times early in the year, and that kind of buried him in a slump. I'm still interested in what he has to offer. This lineup is lacking a left-handed power bat. I think there's potential yes, for him to... Yeah. I don't know if he can be that guy consistently all the time, but I think that he still has a use to this team, especially as Springer gets healthy. And I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bury him just yet. I think that there's, there's still more in that bat. We talk. So it, his, his bat is so good that they have to lie about it in Boston about the, the, the fact that he hit the longest home run in Fenway. History. Yeah. They, <laughs> the, the biggest cover up in blue days history. <laughs> uh, other guys kind of on the list. Again, it's all position players. We touched on Biggio. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Uh, has really given the Blue Jays nothing uh, with the bat. I know he hit a home run the other day. He's an interesting one because even when he's going, it looks like he's reaching for a lot of pitches. It looks like he's he doesn't have a great idea at the plate. And he can he can hit 400 for two and a half weeks and still kind of look bad in certain in some ways. And yeah. <laughs> he is doing all that looking bad, but he's not hitting 400 right now. But in my view, I kind of see it as a slump. Is there anything that you see there where you're like, my priors about Lourdes Gurriel Jr. have changed? No, but I yeah, like you, I. I he's hard to get a read on because yeah, it does, it does look bad sometimes, uh, by which I mean a lot of the time. No, but yeah, I, 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 there, there was a time 
uh, a couple weeks ago where like non-competitive at bats I think were an issue for him, but I don't think that's as much the case lately. And he absolutely is just he he's just that guy. He's that streaky guy, and you know that's sort of like a cliche and sort of like a, an easy way to 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 not look too deep into stuff like this. But I just I think that that's you know. If if we're still talking about him hitting like one fifty or whatever it is like in in a month, then maybe we will have to look. But I, I yeah, I, I assume that there's uh there's an outburst on I'm its kinda way interested in uh whether he, he does end up playing third base once or twice. I kinda wanna see that. Uh mainly because I think he's a bad outfielder. You know, I know he can I know he, he can throw the ball, but he's a bad outfielder. Uh he never had the yips from the left side of the infield. He does have the arm. Uh, I know it's something that yep. Ross Atkins has thought about a lot, about whether his ultimate future is on the infield. We might be too far down the road with the outfielder thing. It might not work, but I know that they they have contemplated it, and he has gotten a little practice there. I wouldn't mind seeing that a couple times. I don't know if we will, but that that's my big thing with Lourdes Guerrero Jr. I just want to see if that ever happens. In terms yeah. of his bat, I kind of think it is what it is, and he's going to come around. Let's end off... On the black hole you mentioned earlier, <laughs> Danny Jansen and yeah. Alejandro Kirk. Kirk has come around a little bit offensively recently. Jansen has not. I've I've always been a Danny guy. Like I, you know, he had a great uh, great minor league track record. He came up strong, and then his first full season was not good. And we said, you know, this is a guy who's in his first full season, and he's taken over as catcher. Let him focus on the defense. He's improving on that side, and we gave him a pass. And then last year it was sort of the, oh, well, you know, it's a small sample size season. Who knows what's going to happen? If a guy's not good, don't worry about it. And look, he hit a couple home runs in the playoffs. And if you mash all those numbers together, it's not actually as bad as you think. <laughs> and, you know, some yeah. of the expected stats are a little bit better than the real stats. So then it's like, okay, well, we can feel okay going in this year. And he just doesn't give you reason for hope. And there's not... Uh, yeah, there's just not a lot of reason to think he's going to bounce back. I want to give you one stat just before I let you uh, give me your thoughts on this uh, black hole situation. Sure, sure. So this is just to give you a sense of – I included Guriel and Danny Jansen in this stat. So think about how good Vladdy's been and the idea that Vladdy is carrying the lineup. If you combine Vladdy – Guriel and Danny Jansen this year. So this is a third of the lineup. Those three hitters are combining to hit again going into Friday's game. 223, 318, 378 for an 100 WRC plus. <laughs> so basically these two like these guys struggling and it's not all Danny, but to be honest it's more Danny have yeah. wiped out essentially the contributions of this unbelievable historic start from Vladdy, you can kind of erase them with just two holes in the lineup. And the catching hole is really the biggest problem. Yeah. Probably should have signed real Muto instead of Springer. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, the Alejandro it's... Kirk fans are, would be on you for that. People don't want to see you give up yeah. on Kirk. And there, there's also good catchers in the system too. So, there is, uh, I, and I'm not giving up on Kirk. I mean, I, th- I think you know Kirk is really young, and 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 I, I think that I think that there's more to come from him. I think maybe some co- consistent playing time would probably help him out a bit. Uh, 
and yeah, I I I have a lot of time for Jansen. Obviously, you know, anything you ever hear from the Jays, anybody you talk to, like they really, really love Danny Jansen. Uh, I think he's a certified good and, guy. And based on my dealings yeah. with him, and that's not something that I give to a lot of people because you never know, but he is one of the genuine ones. He's one of the good ones. And it's that's tough to see a guy like that struggle who you tend to pull for. Yeah, uh, but he sure is struggling and it's it's just it's so strange because he was like a bat first catcher coming, you know, as a prospect, right? Like he was a guy who never, you know, uh, like bat first catcher means something specific, which is like, you know, maybe 15 20 home runs, few doubles. Like he's it, it, he's not he's not Vlad, obviously. Uh but he was a guy who should have, you know, whose offensive contributions were going to be his calling card and it has just been atrocious. Uh, there's a little bit of luck, and I think I wrote this earlier in the week. Like, there's a little bit of luck, but it's almost like you can't luck yourself. At a certain like, point, you can't luck yourself to that yeah. line. It, the thing of, yeah, exactly, that I find yeah. frustrating watching Jansen offensively is that he has an idea at the plate. Like, he knows how to work a count. He doesn't swing for many bad pitches. He puts himself in good positions, but then he just cannot capitalize. Like, he can get himself a three-one yeah. count. But when he gets himself that pitch that's sort of center cut, you know, he hits a loopy fly ball to left center field or he grounds out to third at, you know, 90 miles an hour. Like he he can get himself there, but he just can't punish anyone for making mistakes. Yeah, it's a problem. It's definitely, uh, you know, I'd love to see it sort of change. But Is our know. official podcast stance, this would be a good way to wrap it up here are we officially like uh an alejandro kirk needs to be the starter today and from now on type of podcast i don't know i don't know know about you know i don't know about him either there's some militant kirk heads out there i don't know if i'm one of them uh i think you kind of have them share time until somebody looks good (laughs) yeah until until Moreno uh, is ready, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, just such a, just historically, just speaking of a black hole, just the Blue Jays catcher of the future in general has yeah, been uh, tough. It's been a real, been real a tough swap. label. But it, it's you know, it's been a month. I, I still, it's been a month. I think that the reasons that Kirk is here uh, are valid. Like I think that they, you know, they would not have pushed him the way that they had. I mean, partly it's because. They were getting nothing out of the catching position. But also, I don't think that they're wrong that he deserves to be here and that he is is special with the bat uh, in ways. But that, you know, the, but but maybe not in, maybe not enough ways. I, I would definitely, I'd like to see his, his playing time increase. I'd love to see him get, you know, regular at bat. Okay, so we're, we're uh, increasing. I think he'll be better Kirk playing time by 23.7% podcast, not of not a there firm Kirk starts podcast. <laughs> yeah. I can't quite get there yet. I, and I would, yeah, I, I would love to see Jansen figure it out. Uh, he sort of, he, he did a bit like, remember he was terrible in his first year in 29, I guess 2019 uh, for like two months and then turned it around for three months or, and then, was terrible again like there was there was a time where he was at least a league average hitter for like a good stretch i think that's still in there but man it's hard to see uh, it if we're talking about black holes like it's 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 been sucked (laughs) deep into the black hole it's pretty hard you need a telescope at this point 
Yeah, and you just, I don't know how, I mean, you gotta, you're got you going to wait for a while, so I hope it shows up, but, I mean, I don't know if you can wait until the middle of next year, right? Yeah. All right, let's 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 leave it there. That nice, low energy, <laughs> that happy long note. note. Yeah. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the first iteration of the podcast. We'd like to uh, believe that it'll improve. Well, this will be the low point. We're just going to keep on climbing. You guys can find us on, uh, you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. I would list a bunch of other ones, but I'm not sure they've populated yet. So tell your friends, tell your family, and tell them to use the major podcast things, you know? Like, you don't need Stitcher. Find us at Spotify and Apple Podcasts. That's where people listen to podcasts. <laughs> right. You freaks, <laughs> Stitcher freaks. All right, we'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>